0: You may be seated. I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 8. Look at a story quickly that relates to our baptism service today and a passage that, Lord willing, will be an encouragement to our hearts. Acts, chapter 8. Let's begin reading in verse 26. The Bible says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on the way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasuries of Candace, queen of the the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. On his way home, he was sitting in his chariot, reading from the book of Isaiah, from a scroll. The Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and he heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I? He said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and to sit with him. Don't you wish every evangelistic opportunity worked just like that? Just like that. This is an amazing story to me. It's about a concerned seeker, a man who obviously has already had a prior work of God in his heart. He's an Ethiopian eunuch. He's a foreigner who has a physical blemish, and all of these things would keep him from being accepted into the household of faith in the Old Testament time. He is a true outsider, but he is still a concerned seeker. And then you find this other man named Philip, He's a Jewish man. He's a follower of Jesus Christ. And he, he, I'm going to call this, he's an obedient disciple. If you go back through the story of Philip, what you will find regularly is that Philip was deeply concerned about the salvation of the lost. i read for you the story of his conversion from John chapter 1. After Jesus has called him, verse 43, the next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one that Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth, Nathanael said? Philip said to him, Come and see. If you study the life of Philip, what you will find him doing regularly is sharing the good news that God's promised Savior from the Old Testament had indeed come, and the one who had come was named Jesus Christ of Nazareth. That is the man that God chooses to use to seek out and to reach this Ethiopian eunuch. The Ethiopian eunuch is a man of distinguished accomplishment. He has great power and responsibility in his sphere of influence. He is a seeker who is concerned enough about a spiritual life to travel over 200 miles to a city called Jerusalem to seek after the Lord. Now, either he brought with him a a, a scroll of the book of Isaiah, or he purchased one when he was in Jerusalem. And on his way home, here's what we know. The Ethiopian eunuch has done his business, whatever it was. We know part of his business was to go and to seek after the Lord. God was at work in his heart. While he's traveling home, he's reading from the Word of God. He's seeking to understand more about the Savior. He's reading particularly in the book of Isaiah, chapter 53, which if you will, it is really the burning center of the Gospel in the Old Testament. It is there that the work of Christ as a substitute for our sin is just most clearly laid out. That is where this man, by God's sovereign grace, I would argue, happens happens to be reading. And in the story, it's fascinating. Verse 26 says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road that leads to Gaza. It is a road, estimates depending on where you're going to terminate it in Gaza. Most of us know about the Gaza Strip from watching on uh, the news south of Israel. The area that is a, it's a Palestinian area south of Jerusalem. There's a road that goes 40 to 60 miles deep into that territory. That's the road that God tells Philip to get traveling on And and what I want to go after as we go through this text is this. Who does God use to reach the lost? Who does God use to be an agent of change in the lives of people that don't know Christ and yet that need to know Christ? What kind of people does He use? this story to me is fascinating because you can can kind of uh, come out of it with a few basic principles that I think will help us to understand how God wants to use us as instruments of seeing those without Christ come to know Christ personally. For Philip, I, can, I think I can label him as a simple, obedient disciple of Christ. The first thing I, that I observe in the text is that when God tells Philip to do something, Philip just simply obeys God. The angel speaks to him, goes south on the road, Philip goes south on the road from Jerusalem on towards Gaza. How much information does he have? Very little. Very little. The text tells us that the angel comes, reveals to him a directive from God, and without telling him exactly what it's all about and where he's going to be going, exactly who he's going to meet, none of it's there. What does Philip do? He hears the voice of God, the directive of God, and he responds with very simple obedience. Why is that crucial? Why is that crucial? It's crucial because often God prompts us and directs us to do things and doesn't tell us where it's going. He doesn't tell us the end game. He doesn't reveal to us the end to which He is guiding us. He just puts us in a circumstance where we have an opportunity to obey or to disobey, and the outcome hinges upon our responsiveness to God. Philip was a man that God could direct, and Philip would say, okay, I'm going to do it. God directs Philip. God's direction for Philip is all that He needs. Here's a question I want to throw out to you this morning. When God, by His grace, Prompts in your life, speaks into your life through His Word, through the voice of His Spirit. Are you responsive to Him? Are you responsive? Are you pliable? Are you moldable? Can you identify areas in your life where you have been living a life of obedience to God? Because, and one of the struggles I think with obedience is this. We are willing to obey God when we have a guarantee concerning the outcome. Or when the outcome appears likely to be positive, it's much easier for us to obey God, isn't it? In this story, we find that God says to Philip, Philip, I want you to go down on that road, and when you get there, I'll show you what's next. Now, go to verse 29. Philip is on this road, and he comes into an encounter with this man called the Ethiopian eunuch. He's traveling in his chariot with, very likely with an entourage, a powerful, influential man in the ancient world would not travel alone. So he's traveling with an entourage of people. Philip sees this, and as Philip is observing this man from a distance, we know that from the text, he's seeing this man reading a scroll in his chariot. And then the Spirit of God sends something to Philip that has to sound strange. He says, go to that chariot and stay near it. Okay, now, Philip doesn't know what's going on in the chariot yet. But God says Philip, hey, see that chariot going down the road? I want you to go over by that chariot. Just stay, stay beside it. You imagine Philip thinking, That's good. that might even be life-threatening. This guy is a man of influence. He's traveling most likely with bodyguards. Philip, just go walk beside his chariot. And Philip, strangely is willing to go and do exactly what God tells him to do. He is, in this sense, I would argue, partnering with God in this set of circumstances. Then Philip ran to the chariot. And as, when he gets to the chariot, he finds out why God told him to go to the chariot, right? Because the text says that when he gets near the chariot, what does he hear? He hears this man, as they would often in the ancient world, reading out loud. And what is he reading from? He's reading from a text that I am sure Philip heard Jesus Christ unpack for him when Jesus spent time, or when Philip spent time with Jesus. He's reading from the scroll, and he happens to be reading from the book of Isaiah, and particularly from chapter 53. Notice what it says in verse 30. Philip ran up to the chariot. He heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet, and he said to him, Do you understand what you are reading? Do you understand? Now, here's what happens. There's a directive from God. Philip obeys. As Philip obeys, he begins to see that God is already at work in this situation. You have a foreigner, a man of a different ethnic origin, reading from the scroll of Isaiah. He's a man of influence. Peter gets beside, and he hears this man reading from the most familiar and powerful text concerning Jesus in the entire Old Testament. And Philip isn't drawn away. Philip is drawn near. And he engages this man in a powerful discussion. Here's the question he asks him, and I just love this. End of verse 30, very simple. Philip says to him, Do you understand what you are reading? Now folks, here's the bottom line in our lives. God puts us into circumstances. What He's looking for us to give Him is a heart of simple obedience. A heart of simple obedience. And when we obey God, here's what happens next. We'll find that we are partnering with God in what He is doing. I want you just to think in your life right now of the people that God has brought into your sphere of influence. God isn't bringing those people into your life by mistake he has a sovereign purpose and plan for you to have an impact on their lives they're not there for your benefit they're there for you to serve them and to minister to them maybe across the desk at work maybe interacting with them uh, you know in the snack room at your job it may be across the fence in the backyard talking to a neighbor those acquaintances and relationships are opportunities for you to walk in obedience to God as He begins to speak, as He begins to direct and lay a burden on your heart. Is your heart responsive? Do you say, God, in my relationship with this individual, I want to do everything that you're asking me to do? Because when we come to God with a heart of obedience, the next thing that we begin to experience is partnership or cooperation with God. And I think that has to be what comes to Philip's mind as he begins to talk with this man. God has directed my steps into a relationship with man on this road by his sovereign plan. And when Philip began to engage that man in a conversation, he began to sense that God was at work in that situation. He was seeing God at work, and he was joining God where God was working. Let me ask you this question this morning. When you see God at work, in your sphere of influence, do you join Him? Do you jump in and obey Him in those circumstances, cooperate with Him, enjoy the privilege of partnering with God? Or are our lives too cluttered, too busy, to find time to focus on what matters most in the lives of people? I think the other thing that's interesting as I I kind of look at this passage of Scripture is to notice that Philip is directed by God he obeys God. As he obeys God, he begins to experience partnership with God but you also find that Philip is one to take the initiative in this relationship. He's walking beside the chariot. He hears the man reading, and he might think, you know, that is amazing. Of all the places in Scripture that that man could be reading, he's reading Isaiah 53, which is the story of God's wonderful and glorious Savior, Jesus Christ. That's not enough for Peter or for Philip. What does Philip do next? He says to the man, do you understand what you're reading? What is Philip saying? I mean, if you ask that question, uh, think of it this way. Philip says to the man, he says, do you understand what you're meaning? The man says, no. And Philip says, too bad. Would that be like weird? Folks, do you understand, in our lives, we have people around us that are seeking, they're curious about what is it that God is doing in your life? What is the explanation, Chuck, for the change in your life? Barbara, what, what happened to you? Folks, do you understand this for all of us? There are people in our lives that God wants to do a work in. And God's throwing out hints and indications all the time. His Spirit is prompting and guiding and convicting about reaching out to them. And we tend to be disobedient. And when we're disobedient in response to the promptings of God, we don't experience partnership and cooperation with God And when that's the case, I will not take any initiative to be involved in what God is doing. Philip is obedient. God says, Philip, go here. Philip says, no problem, I'll go. As Philip goes, he senses he's cooperating, he's partnering with God because he's obeying God. And God puts him in a situation where Philip needs to take the initiative. And Philip asks the question, sir, do you understand? Do you understand the story behind the words you're reading? Do you understand the message behind the words you're reading? Do you know who that's about? And what's the response of the Ethiopian eunuch? The response that most people have when you hand them this book and say, you know what, you ought to read this. And if you read this, you'll learn about God. Well, this book and the copy that I have in my hands has over 1,200 pages in it. In small print. And it covers over 1,400 years of history. You know what most people will say? I'd love to understand God's Word. I read it, but I don't understand it. The Ethiopian eunuch's response is, I'm reading, but I can't understand it unless someone sits down and shows me who this is about. Folks, that's the privilege we have. Partnering with God when He begins to work in someone's heart and open them to an understanding of the Gospel of Christ, He wants us to be the ones that bring this truth to bear, that bring it to light in their life. Peter comes near to the chariot. He asks the question, Verse 34, tell me please, the Ethiopian eunuch now, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about? Okay, why? Because he is astonished when he reads the story of someone who is righteous, who is being brutally crucified for the sins of others. That's the story he's reading. Somebody who came and lived a perfect life and yet died with considerable pain and suffering. And he did it for others. He paid the price for others. That's the resounding theme of Isaiah 53. And the Ethiopian eunuch is thinking in his heart, he says, I want to know that guy. I want to know who Isaiah is talking about. I love Philip's response in verse 35. Philip began with that very passage of Scripture. I love this. And told him the good news about Jesus. Okay? He doesn't tell him generally good news about God. He specifically deals with the person of Christ. Why? Because Jesus is the burning center of the Gospel of God. And when Philip encounters a man who doesn't know God personally, he tells him about Jesus, the good news about Jesus. So that he might come into a personal relationship with God. So here's what I find. Simple, unqualified obedience that leads to cooperation with God. Philip, in that setting, takes the initiative. Do you understand? The man says, how can I unless someone explains it? Philip gets into the chariot with him, joins with this man, and completes the task of sharing with him the good news of Jesus Christ. A very basic point emerges out of this story. Very rarely does someone come to know God personally, apart from a witness. Very seldom does someone come to faith in Christ without someone telling them. Now I know, in my personal experience, I know two people who came to Christ apart from a particular individual. Uh, Kay is one of them, who shared her testimony, testimony with me the other night. Sat down, read the Bible, God made the gospel clear and she was converted by the grace of God my best friend from seminary Chris Rohrbach dentist at 13 years old someone gave you the living bible he was attending church did not know Christ he was curious but he was without direction sat down read the word of God cried out concerning his sin to God trusted in Christ they're the only two people I know who came to saving faith in Christ, apart from somebody opening up the Word of God and telling them that they needed to know Christ. Folks, here's just the way it works. God wants to partner with you to share the good news of Christ with the world around you. Are you willing to obey? Are you willing to cooperate? Are you willing to take initiative? And when you do, will you be sure that what you share with people is the burning center of Scripture? Which is the crosswork? of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Peter had to be... I, people, you know how people ask all kinds of weird questions? Okay? When you start evangelizing or talking with them, they'll say, Tim, I, one day I had this experience. And they'll start telling you some story about some kind of mystical, experiential kind of thing that they went through. And, and you're like, I, I get disappointed because I know that typically those kinds of experiences lead to greater confusion rather than clarity in relationship to the gospel. People say, to me, well, do you believe in ghosts because one time I had this experience? Or do you believe in angels because one time I had this experience? How cool would it be to have someone walk up to you and say, you know what, I've been reading Isaiah 53. Would you mind explaining that to me? I have to be honest with you. I've never had that happen yet. Can you imagine Philip's joy? He hears Isaiah 53. And I want, I want you to just real quick with me, turn back to Isaiah 53. And I just, I just want to touch base on three highlights that emerge out of this passage of Scripture. Three basic highlights that emerge out of this passage of Scripture. Because when you obey God and begin to partner with God and cooperate with God and begin to take the initiative and you find yourself engaged in a discussion where you're thinking, uh-oh, I don't know if I'm adequately prepared to close the deal with this person. A lot of times people call me and say, Pastor, would you talk to my friend? you know what my response is? You need to go talk to your friend. I want to help you to share the good news of Christ with your friend. Because I believe that every Christian has a God-given responsibility to understand the burning center of the Gospel from Isaiah 53 so that they can communicate it to a lost and dying world that needs to know Christ. There are hundreds, if not thousands of people that, are, that you all know that I do not know and will probably never interact with, at a, interact with on a personal level. God didn't call me to reach them. He put them into your sphere of influence, into your life, and He wants you to reveal to them the burning center. Will you obey, partner, and take initiative? And when you do that, will you share with them this glorious message of the cross of Christ? Verse 36, by the way, back in Acts 8, it says that Philip preached the good news to the Ethiopian eunuch. The word that's used there is Yuan gelizami. Okay? We get our word evangelize from that, and we get our word evangelical from that. Okay, What is an evangelical from a biblical perspective? An evangelical is someone who wants to communicate the burning center of the Bible to a lost and dying world. That burning center of the Bible is the message of Jesus Christ, His sacrifice, His shed blood, His payment for our sin. That message is very powerfully and clearly revealed in Isaiah 53. And let me just give you a couple very simple thoughts from Isaiah 53. I'm not going to go through the verses in order. Just a couple very simple thoughts. First look at verse 11. <clears throat> and Now remember the question from the Ethiopian eunuch. Who is he talking about? Himself or someone else? Peter then preached to him Jesus from Isaiah 53. Okay, which gives me the connection. When Isaiah 53 is speaking, it is speaking in the mind of a New Testament believer about the Son of God, Jesus Christ. The first thing I learn about Jesus, second half of verse 11, is by his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. What is? And here's the question. when I share the gospel with people, here's what I say: What is true about Jesus that is not true about you? And me. Okay? And here's the simple answer: none of us are righteous. None of us can say, I have lived a perfect life. But when the Father speaks of His coming Son, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, He is His righteous servant. And by His work, He will justify, that is, make righteous, many. First truth that emerges: Jesus came and lived a perfect life. Secondly, Jesus willingly died. For our sins and in response to our rebellion. Go back to verse 6. He was pierced for our transgressions and He was crushed for our iniquities. Two of the young men from our church, uh, 10 and 11 year olds, came and wanted to interview me about my job as a pastor and about my life uh, this week for Cub Scouts or Boy Scouts. I'm not sure which one it was. But they had to do an interview. And I was talking to them about sin. And this text tells us that Jesus was bruised for our transgressions. Okay, the question that people have in their mind is, am I a transgressor? Am I a sinner? Okay, well, this, this, the word here for our transgressions literally means, if you draw a line in the sand and you say, don't step over it, sin is rebellion. Sin is when I know God says, don't cross that line, and I go like this. And I say, I'm going to cross that line. I say to people, have you ever done that? The average person will say, yes. Yes, I know there has been times in my life when I have ignored God's directives and said, you know, I'm going to do what I want to do. In this account, we find out that Jesus Christ willingly died for our transgressions. His death had a direct relationship or was His direct response to our sinfulness. So verse 5 says it this way. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Jesus lived a perfect life. Secondly, Jesus willingly endured the brutality of the cross to pay the price for my sin and for yours. Verse 7, it says, He was oppressed and He was afflicted, yet He did not open His mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep, Before his shearers is silent, he did not open his mouth. He was the Lamb of God who suffered sinlessly to pay the price for our wrongdoing, for our rebellion. The last thought is this. Jesus suffered and died. And please understand, this is the most important, I think, truth of the Gospel, that when this clicks for people, when they see their sin and they know that Jesus died, when you explain to them why He died for them, The gospel tends to open up and make wonderful and glorious sense. Jesus died in our place as our substitute. Now, what do you you say, Tim? What do you mean as our substitute? What I mean is this everything that Jesus Christ endured on Calvary's cross, I deserve. Everything Jesus endured on Calvary's cross, I deserve. Listen to what verse 4 of Isaiah 53 says. Surely He took up our infirmities and He carried our sorrows. Yet we considered Him, listen, stricken by God and smitten by Him and afflicted. He was pierced, and notice the preposition now, for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon us or fell on him. Folks, the only way to understand the cross is to bring in the concept of substitution. That a perfect, sinless Son of God hung on a cross in my place. In my place. One Indian tribe leader, when he heard the gospel being presented, made this observation. the missionary was talking about how Christ was hung on a cross, naked and brutalized for our sin. Here's what he said. He said, well, If I understand you correctly, we should take Jesus off of the cross and put me on the cross. Folks, that is bingo. That is the gospel. That the sinless Son of God became the payment for your sin. In your place, He shed His perfect blood on Calvary's cross so that you could be forgiven. That's the message that Philip preached to the Ethiopian eunuch from Isaiah 53. There is a Savior. His name is Jesus. He lived a perfect life. He died for your sin. He died your death. And we know from the rest of the Bible, if you go back to Acts chapter 8 and verse 12, it becomes very, very clear that the call that Philip has been giving to those without Christ is that they need to come to saving faith in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Notice with me, if you will, verse 12 of Acts 8. It says, but when he believed, this is the man Simon that Peter is, or Philip is evangelizing, when he believed believed Philip as he preached the good news of the kingdom of God and heard the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Okay, so there's this burning center of the gospel that is communicated. Now, how does the story with the Ethiopian eunuch end? It ends with him asking a question that indicates the inclination of his heart to trust in the man revealed in Isaiah 53. He sees water. He understands that to become a Jewish proselyte He needs to participate in water baptism. He understands from what he's been hearing in Jerusalem that those who have been coming to faith in Christ are following their faith in Christ with the waters of baptism. When he sees water, Philip and he are riding along. They see a wadi along the road, which is a kind of a creek bed in Palestine. When he sees that, he looks at Peter and here's what he says. Hey, Peter, or Philip, I mean, I knew I was going to do this all morning. As I was studying this, I kept writing Peter, Philip. He looked at Philip and he said, Philip, there's water. What keeps me from being baptized? Now you notice there's an additional verse in, I think, the uh, New American Standard. Some of the older translations have a verse there. Verse, uh, If you look at the bottom of the New International at the page, uh, Philip responds to him and says, If you believe with all your heart, you may. The eunuch answered, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Okay? Which is probably a strong, uh, well-known New Testament confession that was given at the time of baptism. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God who paid the price for my sin. And in the waters of baptism, I am proclaiming externally my faith in Jesus. What had God done in this man's heart? He had moved him from someone who was trying to figure it out to someone who now knew and had confidence in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. He follows that belief with simple faith and trust in the work of Christ on Calvary's Cross. He said to him, How do you know that this man placed faith in Christ? I think there are two indications in the text. One is he obeys Christ because he is baptized in the public waters of baptism. In front of the entourage that's traveling with him, he makes a public profession of faith and trust in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And the second indication is found in verse 39. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. And the eunuch did not see him again. Meaning their their relationship ended there. He had brought this man to faith and trust in Christ. But he went on his way, and what's the word? Rejoicing. Why was he happy? Why was he happy? Because Philip had preached Jesus to him. Why did Philip preach Jesus to him? Because Philip obeyed God, partnered with God, took initiative, and when he got a chance, he went to the burning center of the Bible. The glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. And as a result, this man's life was changed. Now this morning, you can come into a church that preaches the Bible from a couple of different perspectives. You can come as someone who is desirous of a personal relationship with Christ, who is saying, you know what? I've been reading in the Word of God and I want to know Him. You may say this morning, Pastor Tim, the pieces are fitting together. Today I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe that He shed His blood on Calvary's cross to pay the price for my sin. And this morning, you may say, Pastor Tim, I today want to confess my faith in Christ. I want to leave here with joy in my heart. I'm going to invite you after this service is done. Come up front and say, Pastor Tim, I want to talk to you before I leave this place about Christ. I, or someone else in our church, will be glad to share with you what Christ has done for you. You, have come, you may have come here this morning saying, Pastor Tim, I am a believer. I know Christ. And I've come to learn a little bit more about how I can follow Him. Well, what I want to say this morning is Philip is a wonderful example of how to go out into the world listening for the voice of God to direct and guide you to the ones that he wants you to evangelize and when he does get to the burning center of the bible get to the work of christ share with people what jesus in his grace has done for them walk in obedience and there may be a third group people that know christ who have not yet obeyed him in the waters of baptism i think this is a powerful passage of scripture Acts chapter 8, that points out that those who believed then expressed their faith in Christ in the waters of public baptism as a testimony to their faith in what God has done in Christ. Let's bow our heads together this morning.